Welcome to the Narada Audio Drive-In. In our third installment, we're bringing you glad tidings of the season, starting out with our comedy short and all-new Bix Bixby book review. There have been some shake-ups in the way Bix does his thing, but he ends up being pretty happy about it. Then, in its usual place, our third chapter of the award-winning Western serial Jake Dimes Range Detective, entitled Ambush on the Trail. Jake and Buck get into both cold and hot water in this one. And last but not least, our feature presentation, Potpourri Theater Season 4, Episode 3, which I'm calling a Christmas cornucopia because it's full of nice holiday treats. And so, without further ado, we'll get our lineup rolling after this important message from the management. Get more out of life. Come often and bring your family to our drive-in theater. When you're on a picnic, hot dogs are mighty good this way. But when you're here at the theater, hot dogs are at their best. We start with the choicest franks. Cook them until they're just right. Make available your favorite seasonings and leave the rest to you. Everyone likes our hot dogs. Why not get one for everyone right now? Hello friends, welcome to another installment of the Bix Bixby Book Review. I'm Carmen Mylanta, sitting in for Phil Boyd Studge, your usual announcer for this segment. After five previous encounters with Bix and his art players, Mr. Studge said he couldn't stomach the thought of another one, so the producers asked me to come in. Well, this is pretty exciting for me, I must say. I've never seen this sort of thing before. Mr. Bixby? I understand you and your troop of players are here again to present another live dramatization of a famous novel. Is that right? Hello! Yes, we're back again to bring our valuable educational service to the great unwashed. And today, in honor of the holiday season, we're presenting a very thrilling scene from that seminal Yuletide story, A Christmas Carol, by Charles Dickens. Yes, it's certainly seminal. <laughs> I guess you like that word, huh, Mr. Bixby? <laughs> yes. I really don't think it means what you think it means. Oh, is this your troop? Hi there, fellas. Hi, Miss Mylanta. Hey Carmen. Nice to meet you. How's it going? Anyway, my notes say that A Christmas Carol, Charles Dickens' story, published in 1843, set the standard by which all subsequent holiday fiction would be judged. <laughs> Woo! That's a mouthful. I've never read it myself. But what do you think? What do I think? About what, sweetie? About what I just said. Was A Christmas Carol as important as all that? <laughs> did that dear man Phil Boyd write that? He did? Well, you can certainly take his word for it. He's <clears throat> never wrong. Okie dokie. Um, are you ready to get started? <laughs> Oh, I like you. We are going to get along famously. <laughs> Alrighty. Hello, everybody. This scene takes place on an open plain in the Oklahoma Territory, where a cavalry officer is sitting astride his horse on a small rise. We just know you're going to love it. So here now, a scene from A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Oh, boy! Good morning, Colonel. Uh, good morning, Corporal. 
What news do you have today about the Apache uprising? Begging the colonel's pardon, but the scouts just come back with their report, and they say there ain't no Apaches in this territory at all. Why, you no good. (laughs) Whoa, what did the colonel do that for? Mount up your horse, Corporal, and address me with the respect due a colonel in the United States Cavalry. Now, what's all this nonsense about no Apaches in the area? Uh, yes, sir. Them scouts tell me that looking for Apaches in Oklahoma is just about as useless as looking for ice in hell. Apaches live in Texas and Arizona, they tell me. Why, you no good? Uh. (laughs) Ow! Colonel, sir, I'm only telling you what the scouts told me. I'm beginning to lose my patience, Corporal, with your insubordinate tone. Way I see it, Apaches can't be holding uprising in the Oklahoma Territory if and there ain't no Apaches. So, how about them other tribes? The Choctaws? The Seminoles? Well, begging the colonel's pardon, but them tribes is just as peaceful as you please at the current moment. Why, you no good! What are you stopping for? Isn't there more to the story? Uh, what? This was always the point at which Phil Boyd would jump in and stop us. Really? Why would he do that? So, you don't have... No, we don't have anything prepared beyond this point. But it was just getting going. I absolutely love this book already. Will you do a longer bit next time? (laughs) We sure will, honey. Excellent. And folks, that's all the time we have for this edition of the Bix Bixby Book Review. I'm Carmen Mylanta, and we're taking it back to the studio. Bye for now. Bye. If you leave the theater, folks, please be careful. Don't let this happen to your car. Be sure to remove the speaker before you leave. If you should accidentally pull a speaker loose, please turn it in at our snack bar or box office. Thanks. Get the item that adds to your personal comfort. Cigarettes, here you are. Get the kind you prefer and enjoy them thoroughly. All the most popular brands. If you're mighty thirsty for something mighty good, our hot chocolate's just a drink. It's a beverage and a food. Get hot chocolate and see just how good a drink can be. It's showtime, folks. Enjoy the show. Sixty-three Audio presents Jake Dimes, Range Detective, A Tale of the Old West by Pete Lutz, starring the Narada Radio Company. Tonight, Chapter 3, Ambush on the Trail.
Welcome back to our Western saga called Jake Dimes, Range Detective. Our story so far, Range Detective Jake Dimes and his sidekick Briar Buck are in Arizona, investigating a series of payroll robberies from the D-Bar D Ranch. If you recall from our last chapter, Jake had impressed Fred Greenslate, the boss of the rival Rolling End Ranch, by breaking in his fiercest bronco, Fireball. Jake then received a special reward from Chris Greenslate, who is quite the ball of fire herself. And that kiss has unfortunately set the range boss, Birch Hickam, against Jake. As we take up our tale again, it's a few days after the Bucking Bronco incident. And Jake, who was mighty sore afterwards, is back on his feet and in fine fettle as he makes his way to breakfast. Well, there's our boy. The Bronc Buster himself. Howdy there, Jake. Hey there, Mr. Hey there, lover boy. Howdy there, lover boy. Dawson, the lover boy. Look at that. The fireball's dead. Morning, fellas. Any grub left? Come on up and get it, son. Wavos and frijoles. Nice and hot. Don't mind if I do, Cookie. Thanks. Hey. Want a little bacon? I'll set some aside for you. Bacon? Why, sure. I'm hungry enough to eat old Fireball itself. But if I had my druthers, I'd druther have bacon. Mmm. Much obliged, Cookie. My pleasure, Jake. Here's some coffee, too. Howdy, men. What's for breakfast, Cookie? Oh. Hello, Dawson. Still got some free holies left over, Higgum. Oh, is that all? Ain't there no eggs left? Nope. Just served up the last of Dawson bar. Well, what about some bacon? Dawson got that, too. You gotta get up and at him a little earlier, Higgum. You want a full breakfast? <sighs> well, give me what you got, then. your pleasure this morning. Hiya, Jake. Mr. Greenslate says I got a half day off on account of breaking old fireball. So I wanted to ride into Prickly Pear and see about a shave and a hot bath. Well, ain't that nice. You sure deserve it, Jake. I ain't never seen nothing like it when you just kept, well, holding on that way. Do you want to take fireball today? Are you funning me, Chick? Oh, sir. I like that stallion, but my heart belongs to Crescent, my Palomino mare. I haven't seen her in a couple of days. How's she doing? Well, raring to see ya, if my ears ain't deceiving me. Go on into the stable, son, and see your pretty little old gal. There we go, Crescent Gal. That's a good pace. 
We'll get into prickly pear in about an hour, and we'll be able to enjoy this mighty purdy day on the way there. Howdy, Sheriff. Well, Jake Downs, how are you? Not so loud, Bert. I'm going by Jake Dawson over to the Rolling Inn nowadays. Oh, well, that's right. Sorry, son. I plumb forgot. That's all right. How's the crime business, Bert? Oh, uh, not bad. Keeping us busy, what with the punches from the Rolling Inn and the D-Bar-Dee coming in nightly. <laughs> they sure do like their liquor. Um, are you working the rolling end? I thought you and Bry Buck were heading over to Slim Suckler's place. Well, I thought it'd be better if Buck and me split up. So he went to the D-Bar D, and I'm at the end. And while I'm here, I got a note I want you to pass along to Buck next time you see him. Sure. I'll be happy to do that. I'll keep it right here on my desk. Oh, and uh, uh, here's a letter came for you. Just the other day. Mm. Mm, sure does smell purdy. Uh, who do you think it's from? <sighs> I reckon I'll find out later. Uh, can, uh, can you tell me anything about the owner of the Rolling Inn? Fred Greenslate? He's a right fair businessman, runs his ranch uh, pretty strict, but has fair dealings with his neighbor Sutcliffe and always pays his bills in town regular. He uh, don't socialize, though. That's good to hear. I reckon he ain't involved in this payroll robbery scheme. And uh, speaking of Greenslade, ain't that his daughter just rolled past my window? Let me see. <sighs> sure is. You got a back door, Bert? Sure. Sure, just head on that way, uh, past the sails. What the sand hill's wrong with you, Jake? You're white as a sheet. Nothing. D down this way? Yep. Uh, uh, go on ahead. I'll lock it behind you. Thanks, Sheriff. I I I'll be seeing you. <laughs> well, uh, I'll be hornswoggled. <laughs> well, Miss Greenslate. I didn't know you were in town. Oh, Jake. Um, <laughs> Mr. Dawson. Good morning. I, I just arrived. I came to pay a few bills. How are you feeling today? I am right as rain, miss. <clears throat> right as rain. Your daddy gave me a half day's liberty today, so I came in to see what the people of Prickly Pear, Arizona do on a beautiful day like today. <laughs> Oh, I don't suppose they do much. Confidentially, I think the citizens of this town are a pretty sedate bunch. Was that all you wanted to do in town today? No, I also wanted to find out if the barbershop had enough hot water for me to soak in for an hour or two. 
Oh, 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 I beg your pardon, miss. That wasn't very polite of me. <laughs> That's all right, Jake. I'm used to rougher talk than that, being surrounded by ranch hands all day. What is that smell? It's almost like... Gardenias. Do you smell it? Oh, no, Miss Greenslade, I surely don't. Well, it was nice seeing you. Uh, now, I reckon I'll be heading over to the barber's. Uh, so long, Chris. Uh, Miss Green... <laughs> ah! Jake, no! <laughs> I thought you wanted a hot bath. <laughs> oh, Jake. You poor thing. Here, let me help you. No, Miss. Ugh. I'll... Oh, do this myself, thank you. I, oh, got myself into it after all. Oh, there. Whoops. <clears throat> and now I'll take my leave of you, Miss Greenslate. And see about that um, hot bath. Good day, Miss. Corpus Christi and I never saw the day that cow folks wouldn't eat the grub that I set in their way. Oh, Consuela, Consuela, wait for me, cause I'm busy making biscuits for the boys of the DVRD. <laughs> Are you sure it's okay to meet up here? What if that cook hears us? Are you funning me, pard? Don't worry about him. He'll keep singing that stupid song as long as he's working. Now what's the news that's brought you all the way over from the rolling inn? Well, I ain't got no news. I just wanted to know what news you got. I ain't heard from you in a while, so I was getting a little antsy. Ain't you got no more sense than that? How many times I gotta tell you that I'll get word to you when it's time to do another job? What are you risking a plumb nice setup for, you dang idiot? All right, you ain't gotta get like that now. Just settle down a minute. Settle down? You dang fool. Don't tell me to settle down. Here you come like to spoil everything just cause you're lonesome. Get on off of here before somebody finds you out here. Okay, okay. I don't... I'm going. I wouldn't stay another dang minute, no how. You sidewinding. Somebody out there? I thought I heard voices. Hello? Huh. Must be going loco. Oh well. How much do you think he heard? Who knows? Think we ought to take a chance? We can't afford to. We gotta think up a way to get rid of that hombre. Now listen. 
Now, Cookie, are you certain you can pick up all the supplies yourself? Would you like me to go along with you? Molly, I done told you. It ain't right for the owner's maw to do work like this. I got the buckboard and I got my good old horse stooge a pulling her. So I'm just fine. I'll be to town and back before you know it. Giddy up, stooge. I'll be seeing you, Molly. We'll be eating good tonight. Careful, Cookie. I'll be waiting for you. Corpus Christi and I just bought me some beans. Now I'm going back to Molly with a note tucked in my jeans. Oh, Consuela, Consuela, don't you cry. <laughs> well, old Steve, I reckon I might ought to stop singing about Consuela and start coming up with a song or two about that other fine lady I'm returning to, eh? Yup, and I just remembered I got that note from Jake in my pocket. The sheriff gave it to me, but I didn't read it yet. Well, no time like the present, I reckon. to report. Just keeping an eye on things over here. Wish I was eating your stew and biscuits. See you one of these days. Huh. Jake didn't sign it. I guess that's for safety. Well, no reason for me to keep this, so... Let's keep a moving, Stooge. We got us a little ways to go, and I can see the sun is a hankering to go to bed. Meantime, let me see if and I can come up with a new song about Molly. Wooden tarnation! Giddy up, Stooge! We got us a couple of owls chasing us, Stooge. You keep on straight, old pal, and I'll try to stop them. Howdy, parts. This ain't no way to greet a fella. Wearing bandanas across your faces and holding guns on him. 
I ain't got nothing. Listen, you want them vittles under the tarp over there. Hands up, hombre. Well, if and you don't mind, I can only put one up. You done put my other arm out of service. Get down off in that buckboard. Alrighty, just give a feller a chance. <clears throat> so what is it, boys? After my grub here. Reckon that weren't it. We think you got big ears, hombre. Yeah, big ears, and you run your trap too much. Well, there ain't much I can do about my big ears, boys. My pappy, he had them too. But about that other thing, well, you can call me Silent Sam from now on. Nary a word you'll hear from me. Yes, sir. We got our eye on you, hombre. You say anything about what you heard t'other night, and... Well, I don't know what you think I heard, but... Womp him, pard. <sighs> Ain't we gonna kill him, Joe? Nah. We'll let the coyotes take care of him. <laughs> you head back to the ruin end now, Ferdy, and I'll make my way back to the D-Bar-D. And remember... We never saw this hombre today. Okay, Joe. The two cowboys, Brax and Joe, ride off in different directions, leaving the unconscious Briar Buck flat on his face in the desert sand with blood trickling out of a bullet hole in his arm. What with the sun going down, things don't look too bright for poor Buck, do they? Were those two owl hoots the payroll robbers? Or do they have another secret they're trying to hide? And what about Jake? He seems to be mighty distracted by strong-willed, pretty Chris Greenslate. Will he be able to get down to business and track down these bad men? And what was in that perfumed envelope? To find out what happens next, tune in to Chapter 4 of Jake Dimes' Range Detective, coming soon. Chapter 3, Ambush on the Trail, was written, produced, and directed by Pete Lutz and starred Dana Gonzalez as Jake Dimes, Austin Beach as Briar Buck, Kristen DiMercurio as Chris Greenslate, Nancy Bueller as Molly Sutcliffe, Tommy Gregg as Hickam, Paul J. Patterson as The Cook, Gene Giggy as Chick, Jeff Niles as The Sheriff, Bill Holweg as Ferdy Brax and Mark Kalita as Joe, with additional voices by Owen McEwen, Skeeter Ullman, Dane Leonardson, and Pete Lutz. Your announcer was Glenn Higby, AKA CBK. The Jake Dimes theme was composed by Pete Lutz and arranged by Dr. Ross Bernhardt. Harmonica stings composed and performed by Pete Lutz. Tune in next time when you'll hear Jake and the Sheriff say, Okay, Bert. We're a good mile away from the rolling in. Can you take off these here shackles? Sure, Jake. There. Uh, 
Sorry that I had to do that to you. Well, you're only doing what I asked you to do. Now, maybe you're of a mind to tell me what's what? Well, it's pretty bad news, Jake. Rye Buck's been hurt. We're going straight to Doc Burnside's office to see him. Well, hell, Bert. Couldn't you wait it a little longer to tell me? Come on, let's put on some speed. Get up, Crescent. Let's go, gal. This has been a 63 Audio production. It's intermission. Rise and stretch time. Time to refresh yourself and visit our snack bar. Got a yen for hot popcorn? Your favorite soft drinks are sparkling cold. The juicy Frank sizzling hot. There's delicious coffee freshly brewed. And all kinds of ice cream and candy to tempt you. Showtime will be announced loud and clear to get you back to your car in time. So stretch your legs. Come to the snack bar now. Pizza! Pizza! Pizza, pizza, pizza. Everybody loves pizza, and we're now featuring the famous original Tolona pizza. Only the finest and purest ingredients go into the original Tolona pizza, made fresh to your order. And into the oven it goes. Presto, a luscious, hot, crispy pizza. We're now featuring... Hey, wait a minute. Give me another pizza. <laughs> That's better. Now, as I was saying... We now have delicious, crispy Tolona pizza at the refreshment stand. What do you have? Cheese, sausage, or pepperoni? Take it away! I'm sorry, sir. This is a private mountain. But I only wanted... This it. mountain is reserved for patrons... But, but, but It's I... a supply depot for all sorts of good things, which people can get at the snack bar. Like soft drinks, candy bars of all kinds, delicious popcorn, and refreshing ice cream treats. But I am a patron of... Well, why didn't you say so? Be our guest. Presentation. Continuing our outstanding audio dramas. This is Pulp Puri Theater, starring the Narada Radio Company. Hello and welcome to Pulp Puri Theater and welcome to our third annual holiday special. Just to be clear, we're in our fourth season, but I didn't think to write a Christmas-type story for our first season. See how the math works? So, (laughs) what do we have in store for you? We start out with a recording of a live performance made last year at the Corpus Christi State Assisted Living Center. This is a group home and special school for severely disabled adults in our area, and every year they have a holiday party. Last year's presentation was a scene from a classic radio adaptation of A Christmas Carol, which I call Scrooge and Marley's Reunion. You'll see why soon enough. That's followed by a recitation of a poem by Robert Frost, Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening, read by one of our newer members, Lisa Michelle. Lisa says this is one of her favorite poems, and you'll agree with me that her recitation proves that. 
Next up will be another live recording from the State Assisted Living Center performed just last week or so called The March Sisters Christmas. It's a scene pulled from a 1950 Lux Radio Theater presentation of Little Women. We think they enjoyed it, and you will too. Quick on the heels of that comes another poetry recitation, a very fun one from 1622 entitled A Christmas Carol by George Wither, not to be confused with the Charles Dickens story. This is a lively performance by four of our members. And our final bit for this installment is a complete episode of the long-running radio comedy series The Bickersons, set at Christmas Eve 1946. So, on behalf of the entire Narada Radio Company, this is Pete Lutz, wishing you a very Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Season's Greetings, Happy Hanukkah, Joyous Kwanzaa, and a safe and successful and happy New Year. On with the show.
Ah, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone was Scrooge, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. And once upon a time, of all the good days in the year, on Christmas Eve, Scrooge, after dismissing his long-suffering clerk, Bob Cratchit, left his counting house and took his melancholy dinner in his usual melancholy tavern. From there, the dismal old miser went to his dismal old house. Darkness is cheap. And Scrooge liked it. God was so dark that even Scrooge, who knew its every stone, had to grope with his hands through the fog in a trust to find the door. Scrooge walked through the rooms to see that all was right. Sitting room? Bedroom? Lumber room? All as they should be. Nobody under the table. Nobody under the sofa. Nobody under the bed. Nobody in the closet. He shut the door. He locked himself in. He doubled up himself in. And took off his cravat, put on his sleeping gown, and slippers, and his nightcap, and sat down before the fire to take his rule. Undigested with beef, or what a broth of mustard, or 
What a crumb of cheese, but a fragment of an underdone potato. <laughs> well, there's more of gravy than of grave about you, whatever you are. Ah, humbug, I tell you. Humbug. It is required of every man that the spirit within him should walk abroad amongst his fellow men and travel far and wide to witness what it cannot share but might have shared on earth and turn to happiness. What? what tell me, Jacob. What is that chain you wear around you? I wear the chain I forged in life. I made it link by link and yard by yard, by my own free will. Is its pattern strange to you, Ebenezer? Cash boxes, keys and padlocks, letters and purses. Yours was as heavy and as long as this seven years ago. You have labored on it since, Ebenezer. It is a thunderous change! Oh, oh, Jacob, speak comfort to me, Jacob! Comfort I have none to give. I cannot rest. I cannot stay. I cannot linger. Weary journeys lie before me. You travel fast? Yes, Ebenezer. On the wings of the wind. <laughs> Seven years dead and traveling all the time. Seven years, Ebenezer. Seven years of remorse. Ebenezer, do you know that no space of regret can make amends for one life's opportunities misused? But, but you are always a man of business, a good man of business, Jacob. Business! Mankind was my business. Charity, mercy, benevolence, they were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. Jacob, don't take on so now. <laughs> Jacob. Listen to me, Ebenezer. Don't listen to you, Jacob. Go on, Jacob, now. Speak to me, but, but don't be so flowery. Ebenezer, I am here to warn you that you have yet a chance of hope of escaping my fate. Do you hear that, Ebenezer? Yes, Jacob, yes. You, you always were a good friend to me, Jacob. Yes, Jacob, but, but, but go on, go on, go on, go on. How shall I escape? Oh, I'm afraid, Jacob. You will be haunted by three spirits. Is that the chance of hope you spoke of, Jacob? It is. Well, then, I think I'd rather not. Without their visits, you cannot hope to shun the path I tread. Expect the first tomorrow when the bell tolls one, the second the following night when the bell tolls two, and expect the third spirit on the night after that when the bell tolls three. Couldn't I take them all at once and have it over, Jacob? Ebenezer, look that for your own sake. You remember what has passed between us? Remember when the bell tolls one? Look for the first spirit.
Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening by Robert Frost Those woods, these are, I think I know, his house is in the village, though. He will not see me stopping here to watch his woods fill up with snow. My little horse must think it queer to stop without a farmhouse near, between the woods and frozen lake, the darkest evening of the year. He gives his harness bells a shake to ask if there is some mistake. The only other sounds the sweep of easy wind on downy flake. The woods are lovely, dark and deep. But I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep. and miles to go before I sleep. Orphans, for instance. 
and Marmee and each other. But we haven't got Father Beth and probably won't have him for a long time. But Joe, the men in the army are having such a terrible winter. Marmee's right. We have to make sacrifices. Only I'm tired of making over these same dresses year after year. Well, I don't think any of you suffer as I do. You don't have to go to school with impertinent girls who label your father just because he's poor. Oh, Amy, if you mean libel, then say so. And stop talking about labels as if Papa was a pickle bottle. Well, you needn't be so satirical about it, Joe. It's proper to use good words and improve one's vocabulary. Vocabulary? Christopher Columbus. Joe, don't use slang word. Oh, I just detest rude, unladylike young ladies. And I hate affected snips. Birds in their little nests agree. Oh, I'll never get over my disappointment at not being a boy. Look at me, dying, simply dying, to go and fight at father's side, and here I am, sitting and knitting like a pokey old woman. Poor Joe. Oh, thank you, Miss Beth, but I don't need any kidding. Because someday I'll be a famous writer and make my fortune. Oh, not that I'll forget about my sisters. You'll all ride around in fine carriages. And you, my Beth, you'll have a new piano. And you, Beth, ten dozen dresses and satin slippers and red-headed boys to dance with. I shall like that. I thank you. So there's no use running now. I'll get famous just as soon as I can. Meanwhile, let's rehearse the play. <coughs> Meanwhile, it's time for tea. Letters in my box. A letter, a letter from father. 
sent you all a little Christmas message.
been listening to a special presentation of the scene from Little Women by Louisa May Alcott, originally presented on CBS Radio in 1950. Today's performance featured the following players. Victoria Fonsky as Meg, Jessica Matthews as Beth, Paige Walker as Amy, Jennifer Ramirez as Joe, Wendy Sauer as Hannah, Marilyn Robinson as Marmy, and Pete Lutz as Anne March and your announcer. A Christmas Carol, written by George Wither. 1622. So now is come our joyfulest feast. Let every man be jolly. Each room with ivy leaves is dressed, and every post with holly. Though some churls at our mirth repine, Round your foreheads garlands twine, Drown sorrow in a cup of wine, And let us all be merry. Now all our neighbors' chimneys smoke, And Christmas blocks are burning. Their ovens they with baked meats choke, And all their spits are turning. Without the door let sorrow lie, And if for cold it hap to die, We'll bury it in a Christmas pie, and evermore be merry. Now every lad is wondrous trim, and no man minds his labor. Our lasses have provided them a bagpipe and a tabor. Young men and maids and girls and boys give life to one another's joys, and you anon shall by their noise perceive that they are merry. Rank misers now do sparing shun, their hall of music soundeth, and dogs thence with whole shoulders run, so all things there aboundeth. The country folk themselves advance, for crowdy muttons come out of France, and Jack shall pipe and Jill shall dance, and all the town be merry. Ned Swash hath fetched his bands from pawn, and all his best apparel. Briskenell hath bought a ruff of lawn with droppings of the barrel, and those that hardly all the year had bread to eat or rags to wear will have both clothes and dainty fare and all the day be merry. Now poor men to the justices with capons make their errants, and if they hap to fail of these, they plague them with their warrants. But now they feed them with good cheer, and what they want, they take in beer. For Christmas comes but once a year, and then they shall be merry. Good farmers in the country nurse the poor, that else were undone. Some landlords spend their money worst on lust and pride at London. There the roisters they do play, drab and dice their land away, which may be ours another day. And therefore, let's be merry. The client now his suit forbears, the prisoner's heart is eased, 
the debtor drinks away his cares and for the time is pleased. Though others' purses be more fat, why should we pine or grieve at that? Hang sorrow, care will kill a cat, and therefore let's be merry. Hark, how the wags abroad do call each other forth to rambling. Anon you'll see them in the hall for nuts and apples scrambling. Hark, how the roofs with laughter sound. Anon they'll think the house goes round, for they the cellar's depth have found, and there they will be merry. The wenches with their wassail bowls about the streets are singing. The boys are come to catch the owls, the wild mare in is bringing. Our kitchen boy hath broke his box, and to the dealing of the ox, our honest neighbors come by flocks, and here they will be merry. Now kings and queens poor sheepcoats have, and mate with everybody. The honest now may play the knave, and wise men play at naughty. Some youths will now a mumming go, and others play at rowl and hoe, and twenty other game boys mow, because they will be merry. Then wherefore in these merry days should we, I pray, be duller? No, let us sing some roundelays to make our mirth the fuller. And whilst thus inspired we sing, let all the streets with echoes ring. Woods and hills and everything, bear witness we are merry. Our performers were, in order, Austin Hanna, Jerry Eliff, George Hatfield, and Christy Glick. And now, the makers of Little Donuts, covered all over with powdered sugar, are proud to present Pete Lutz as Don Amici and Victoria Fonsky as Francis Langford, as John and Blanche Bickerson in The Honeymoon is Over or The Gift of the Stink Eye. It's Christmas Eve, and the Bickersons have not retired. Mrs. Bickerson is busy wrapping presents in the bedroom, while husband John, exhausted as he is from the pre-holiday activity, puts the finishing touches to the tree, which stands proudly in the kitchen, the only other room in the Bickersons' small apartment. Listen. John, will you bring the scissors, please? John, what is he doing in there? <laughs> oh, no. fall asleep on a ladder. <laughs> oh, I haven't got the heart to wake him. I'd better get him off of there. John! John! 
What's the matter, Blanche? What happened, huh? Oh, you poor dear. Did you hurt yourself? No, no, I'm, I'm all right. How'd I fall off that ladder? I must have fainted. Yes, dear, you were fainting like a log when I came in. Why, John? What? You never even touched your dinner. Not a morsel of it. I don't like the looks of it, Blanche. Oh, stop that talk. It's perfectly good food. You let it sit there on the kitchen table for hours getting cold. You want me to warm it up for you? No. Just tell me what's on that big plate. Are you trying to be funny, John? I'm not trying to be funny, Blanche. What is it? You know very well that I can only cook two things, liver and rice pudding. Well, which one is that? How can you be so nasty on Christmas Eve, John? Blanche, I just asked you a civil question, that's all. I didn't think it was liver because your liver always looks like rubber heels. That stuff looks more like scrambled eggs, so I thought it might be rice pudding. Why don't you taste it and find out? I'm not hungry. That's why you're always tired, John. You don't eat enough. I eat plenty. Well, what did you have for lunch today? Well, you ought to know. You packed it for me. And listen, Blanche, I'm getting sick of carrying my lunch to the office in paper sacks. Why can't I go to a restaurant like the other fellas? John, what are you talking about? I haven't fixed your lunch for two years. Oh, Blanche, every morning of my life I find my lunch wrapped in brown paper on the side of the sink. Lunch? That's the kitchen scraps. How do you like that? No wonder I never have an appetite. Why do you do that to me, Blanche? Go on. Eat some dinner and finish trimming the tree. I don't want any dinner. I want to go to sleep. Well, aren't you going to finish the tree? I can do it in the morning. But, John, tomorrow is Christmas Day. I expect a lot of people to drop in. The butcher's coming and the milkman is coming. Listen, and... Blanche, I can't afford to give those guys presents. Why did you invite them over? I didn't invite them. They're coming here to collect their bills. Bills? What bills? I gave you money for the bills. Well, I had to buy presents, didn't I? My sister Clara sent me a package and I had to get her something in return. No, you didn't. Nobody asked her to send you anything. Well, she did, just the same. So I bought her a bottle of perfume. How much was that? $24. $24? Why, nobody can carry that much perfume. Well, it was only an ounce, silly. It's the latest perfume, very daring. It's called Perhaps. Perhaps? For $24, you should get positively. Oh, don't be so crabby, John. We're not going to fight on Christmas Eve no matter what happens. Remember? You promised. Okay. I'm not even going to get mad because you didn't send me a Christmas card. I did send you a Christmas card. It isn't necessary to make excuses or alibis, John. I'm going to forget it entirely. I don't have to make excuses. I did send you a Christmas card. I mailed it five days ago. John, you promised you wouldn't shout. Well, then why are you goading me like this? You know I wouldn't say I sent you a Christmas card unless I had. Well, I never received it. Well, then it got lost in the mail. That's possible. Thank heaven. All the other cards came. That doesn't mean anything. One card can get lost, can't it? If you sent it. I did send it. I swear I sent it. Had a wonderful poem on it. A beautiful picture. It was trimmed with lace. Cost me a buck. All right, John. Well, do you believe me? Let's not discuss it anymore. Okay. But I hope you don't forget to send one next year. Yeah. What's the use? All right. So I didn't send you a card. That's all? Why didn't you admit it before? There was nothing to admit. I just said I didn't send it to end the argument. But I really sent it. What did it say on it? It said, Merry Christmas to my love. That could be anybody. Let me finish. It said, Merry Christmas to my love, my wife, my life, my turtle dove. Life with you is great, it seems. I love you more than pork and beans. You're only adding insult to injury, John. Well, how do I know what it said? I can't remember what... What's that laying on top of the newspaper? 
There it is. There's my card. So it is. See, you didn't have to get so excited after all. Thank you, darling. It's a lovely card. Wear it in good health. Well, let's open the presents and then go to sleep. Well, how could you, John? You know we never open presents until Christmas morning. Besides, you haven't finished trimming the tree. All it needs is a string of lights. One of the bulbs is blown. That kills the whole string. Can't you buy a bulb? The stores aren't open now. What time is it? Five past twelve. Well, that's good. It's Christmas Day. Let's open the presents. You didn't even hang up your stocking. I haven't got one that would hold anything. They look like lace curtains. Come on, let's open the presents, Blanche. Come on, huh? All right. Say, we haven't got very many this year, have we? Oh, who's this from? That's from Leo Gooseby. It's amazing how you went to the one shaped like a bottle. Oh? Oh, is that what this is? I hope it's good stuff. Oh, oh, oh. Ah, <sighs> mm, that's not bad at all. John, that shampoo. Shampoo? Why, that chiseler, two-bit Leo. What do I want with a bottle of shampoo? And to think I threw out 39 cents on a tie for him. What have you got there? It's another present for you, from your boss. No kidding. Gee, that's a big one. Um, what is it, Blanche? A five-gallon can of lighter fluid. Well, that's fine. That's just what I need. I don't even own a lighter. Well, don't feel too bad, John. Maybe you can exchange it for something else. Last year, he sent me a bowling ball case. Must get these things in a rummage sale. I never heard of such presents. Here's one for me from Louise Shaw. Shoot, but that's a dilly. Oh, Louise always sends something nice. Not expensive, but it usually comes in handy. Well, look at that. What is it? It's a polo score pad. Isn't that nice? That'll sure come in handy. Honest, Blanche, you've got the weirdest collection of friends. Is there anything else? Just our presents to each other. Why don't you look at what I've got you first, and then you can show me what you got for me. Now close your eyes. I'll unveil it. Well, all right. I hope you didn't spend too much, dear. I, I, I don't really want anything. Open your eyes. Blanche. Oh, Blanche, darling, that... Why, that's beautiful. That's a dream. A portable bar with a brass rail. Don't you think a kiss is in order, John? Oh, a million kisses. Well, stop kissing the bar. I meant a kiss for me. Oh, sorry, darling. It's just too good to be true. Oh, you're wonderful. Uh, Blanche, that, that must have cost a fortune. John, don't get angry, but I sold my fur coat. You, you sold your fur coat? Well, I wanted you to have the bar and I didn't have the money. You sold your coat? That beautiful fur coat that you bought yourself for my birthday? That gorgeous bald mink? I got $75 for it. The bar cost 85 Aw, oh, Blanche, you never should have sold that bald mink. Well, it doesn't matter. I have a cloth coat and I never get cold. Yeah, but, uh, you don't understand. Uh, open the present I got for you. I can't wait, John. Oh, oh, a muff, a fur muff. Genuine plucked skunk. I had it made special to match that coat. It can hold two full quarts. And you sold the coat. Well, what's the difference, darling? Someday you'll make a lot of money, and then you'll be able to get a coat that'll match the muff. I'm very happy, John. I know, but, uh... And you still have the gorgeous bar. That's just it. What's the matter? I sold on my bourbon to pay for the muff. That's great, isn't it? What a break for both of us. I think it's wonderful, John. What do you mean, Blanche? I've never been so happy in my life. We both made a sacrifice, and that's worth more than all the gold and precious jewels in the world. 
Just to know that you gave up a prized possession is proof enough that you love me. I've always loved you, Blanche. I may holler and rant and act like a first-class crumb sometimes, but you never doubted that I loved you, did you? No, John. It's been seven years, honey. Most of it uphill. I haven't showered you with diamonds or bought any yachts, but I try not to deny you anything. I suppose you have your little faults. What woman hasn't? Or what man either, for that matter. We're both pretty sensitive people. Maybe that's why we beef so much. Still, I, I don't think we're any worse than any other married couple. At least we have a safety valve and we can let off steam. Some of the others just carry it inside until the break comes. No, Blanche, I like it this way. And I love you more than anything on earth. John. Hey, cut that out. I'll prove how much I love you. Where is that liver or, or rice pudding or whatever it is you made? It's liver. I'll eat every bit of it if it kills me. <laughs> Let's go. Merry Christmas, darling. Merry Christmas. That was the Bickersons' Christmas Eve, originally broadcast on December 22nd, 1946, lovingly reenacted by Pete Lutz as Don Amici as John Bickerson, and Victoria Vonsky as Francis Langford as Blanche Bickerson. Your announcer was Dana Gonsalves. Music and sound effects were obtained through the public domain and a Creative Commons license. The Bickersons are brought to you by the makers of Little Donuts, Covered all over with powdered sugar. Good night and Merry Christmas. The preceding production was sourced from materials in the public domain, except where indicated. The audio play script and the production itself are original works and are the property of their creator and thus protected by copyright. This production was pre-recorded and mixed at 63 Audio, Corpus Christi, Texas. Remember, Pulp Puri Theater is your source for the best in audio drama. This has been a 63 Audio Production. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. The Narada Audio Drive-In, with its three combined features, is under the supervision of Pete Lutz and is produced in Corpus Christi, Texas. This has been a 63 Audio production. Uh, Eagle Screech. No! No, no, no! Uh, 63 Audio Production. You don't own every show, man. Sorry, pard.